0: And Everybody gets it back again Don't take no mess At the Rose Garden Raise us their own fire They're what we desire The men in black Can't handle
1: it Other teams Can't it How they win that game today There's just one thing Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I'm Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. For those of you who are paid subscribers, I've got at least one really cool thing coming out next week that I think you guys are going to want to be signed up for. So, just that's a little bit of a tease. Uh, as far as the podcast, you can get us on YouTube, which, even if you're not Uh, listening to it or watching it on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube because that helps me. Otherwise, you know, we're part of the Odyssey family. I got my guy Mario producing. You can get us on the Odyssey app as well as all the usual podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, and wherever else. Kind of a different episode than the usual ones that we've been doing lately that are more tied to, like, the current Blazers news cycle. Uh, I wonder... I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people who are listening to this have probably read Miran Fader's story on the ringer this past week about Greg Odin and kinda of where he is in his life right now and, you know, right now he's an assistant coach at Butler University and he is not a much better place, I think, in his life than he was when he was in Portland with all the injuries and all the expectations and kind of some of the personal issues that Uh, led to that and obviously if you know Mirren Fader's work at all whether it be her work at The Ringer or formerly at Bleacher Report when we were colleagues or the Giannis book that's a New York Times bestseller uh, you know you know the kind of thoughtful work she does and the kind of deep profiles that she does and you you know the idea of you know something like that about Greg Oden and where he's at in his life right now if that's something that's appealing to you this is something that you should read and you know mirin's a friend i know her very well we we go back a long time and so i had kind of had in the back of my mind that the next time she wrote something blazers adjacent or something that my audience would be interested in i was going to get her on and so you know as soon as this story came out i texted her and was like you want to come on and she said yeah so we were able to do that we you know it's about probably a 45 minute conversation we get into the greg odin uh story how it came together what she took away from it We talk a little bit also about Nasir Little, who she profiled back when he was a freshman at Carolina going through some stuff. Uh, And then we also just get into some other stuff about her writing process and other things like that. It's a great conversation. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So let's just get to that right now. So, Miran, I'm really glad, first of all, that you agreed to do this, but also just that you wrote about Greg Oden, because I will admit I had not, Really thought about him that much in a while. And I was, you know, happy to see when I read the story that it seems like he's just in a much better place in his life now than he was a few years ago, and especially kind of at the end of his time in Portland.
0: Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. You know, I hadn't originally been aware that he was at Butler. And, you know, I just kept asking myself, like, I wonder how he's feeling. Like, has he accepted what's happened? Um, it takes a lot of courage to start over and do something else. And so I'm like, well, how did he get from A to B? Uh-huh.
1: So how did this first come together? Like, what first gave you the idea? I'm always curious when you, when you, you know, put out a story like this. I'm always curious, like, how did she think of, like, this is somebody that I wanted? Like, where did it come from that Greg Oden was somebody that you wanted to profile and catch up with and see where he was up, you know, what he was up to?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because I would say like ninety five percent of the time I am coming up with the idea and the pitch, but this was the five percent where my editor was like, "Did you know Greg Odin was at Butler?" And um, so I have to credit him, um, Matt Dollinger. And I know, know, yes, we love Matt. And um, when he said that, I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" My heart just immediately, like, you know, felt something because obviously, like I watched all of that. I remember all of that. And what occurred to me was like so much time has passed. And I think when I profile somebody, there has to be some sort of journey, there has to be some sort of A to B, or, you know, or maybe they got somewhere. And it's like, well, how did they get there? There has to be some movement. And like I said, I I think I know it takes a lot of courage to start over and do something else. And so I sort of looked around, I was like, you know, I hasn't really, unpacked it with somebody it's sort of like the stencil of what he's been out there is known but what is all the stuff within the stencil is sort of my approach and I was like how do I dignify what he's doing right now and also try to tell the story of how he got there
1: was it a hard sell because I know he doesn't he doesn't really like you said he hasn't really unpacked it he doesn't really do a whole lot of interviews remember a few years ago he was making the rounds on a few podcasts because he was doing something. And I don't think this was even really mentioned in the the story, but he was doing some like thing. I think that this is before he got to Butler, but he was doing something where he was like helping young athletes with like financial literacy. And like, that was Mm. something he was doing for a while. And so I remember listening to a few interviews with him. Maybe this was like, maybe like during COVID. So like 2020 or maybe 2021 that, that, that this was going on, but like, Was it kind of a, you know, did did, were you able to get to him pretty quickly and be like, hey, like, I want to do this? And were you able to get him to kind of sign off on it and agree to actually open up like this the way that he did?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I was surprised at how, you know, quickly he said yes, you know, because it was through Butler's um, people. But I I think that while I said yes, like, I want to talk about your journey to get here and ultimately, you know, to find purpose doing this I think like it wasn't until I actually sat down with him did I understand the magnitude of what he went through and what the story was going to be obviously like I knew there were really really hard moments but I I just had no idea and so I think once I got there it was more of like the understanding of like this is so much bigger than I thought it was and it's it's not just about this one person's journey it's it's really about I think how we you know people in our position Mm -hmm. talk about people and and what that does to a person so it, it just took on so many more themes than when i had originally pitched it to them
1: I mean, I think he probably appreciated that you didn't want to come into it. I'm assuming you didn't want to go into it being like, hey, this is what the, what are the most legendary quote unquote draft busts in NBA history? Is like, I'm sure, I'm sure he's gotten a million like people wanting to interview him and have it be sort of that angle. And I'm sure that's something that he would probably have no interest in. I'll bet he probably appreciated that you were just like, no, I just want to talk about where you're at right now and what you've gone through and kind of do it more on like a human level.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, just them being aware of the kind of work that I do is like, I'm never the type of person to go into a story like that or write something, you know, with that sort right. of frame framing or tone. But I, I actually thought the part that we really started to connect once the interview began was I said, you know, I'm very conscious of, of framing what this part of your life is. Do you even refer to it to yourself as a second act? Like, what would you call it? And he was like, no, it's all one thing. And I think just being sensitive to even just calling it a second act, which is not, you know, as it's not offensive, like the word bust. Um, And that actually really opened up our conversation because then I started to realize that this is, he's done the work on himself to where he can talk about those things. And it's not, you know, triggering him in the moment. He has enough distance and big picture, bird's eye view understanding to say, this is how I frame my life right now.
1: I thought it was really interesting when he talked about just how embarrassed he was during those times, Mm. you know, when he was injured, when he was going through the injuries and stuff in Portland. And then like Mm -hmm. when he went back to Indiana, he was always just like, like the, like I think something that really hit me from the piece was when he was like, yeah, I felt like I was a loser and I was a failure because I had all these injuries and they took me with the number one pick and I never lived up to the promise. And, you know, Kevin Durant went right after me in the draft and like, like he, he kind of internalized all of that stuff to the point that when he went back to Indiana, he was like shocked that when people that he knew saw him on the street, they'd be like, Hey, Greg, how you doing? It's so good to see you. And he was like, wait, people everywhere don't think that I'm just like the biggest loser and the biggest failure ever.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, it really, I mean, even hearing you talk about it, like my, my heart, my mm-hmm. heart just like aches, you know? Yeah. And when he said that, I just it really hit me, and I, I really wanted to unpack that image because I think that image is really the metaphor for the entire piece, um, and that's why you see it so early in the the piece below the first part, which is like, look at this great thing, this joy, and then also when you get lower, it's like, oh, but he used to feel so ashamed, and shame is an emotion that we don't really talk about in sports a lot, but shame is everywhere in this piece and um you know i'm a fan of brene brown i myself have you know studied her work and studied what it is and it's literally you're trying to not be seen and the image of this seven foot human being trying to hide was you know because it is it is literally impossible and so i just thought we have to get to the root of the shame to understand how he gets to point b right a to b it's so rooted in shame
1: Totally. That's, that, that was the really interesting part of it to me, especially like, like, like you said, the idea of like, he would go around and like, try not to be seen. And it's like, you're Greg, especially when he was still in Portland, like, there's not too many, you know, especially like, like, when there was so much because I was I was in high school when they won the draft lottery in 2007. And so it was like, I was in high school and like early college when you know Odin mania was going on and like even that first year when he had the you know he he missed his whole rookie season with the knee injury but he was still everywhere like he was in all the commercials he was on all the billboards because they were really hyping him up I would imagine if he was feeling like oh I don't want to really be seen in public because I'm so embarrassed that I had this knee surgery and I can't play after they took me with the number one pick it's probably not easy for him to like go to the store or go out with friends or whatever and not have everybody just be, like, gawking at him all the time. I mean, that that's kind of the case for a lot of professional athletes, you would think. But, like, a lot of these guys, you you know, you'd be surprised how easily a lot of them are able to blend in. Because even though they're, like, maybe taller than you would expect, you know, most people are, like, for a basketball player, I guess. But for somebody like Greg Oden, like, he he was very distinctive looking. And he was also just, A, so much taller than everybody. And B, just he was everywhere. Like, his face was everywhere being a number one pick. So that, that had to be kind of hard for him.
0: It's really hard. I think there's the normal hard of just walking through the world at seven feet, like one quote that didn't make it. Um, and he was trying to, you know, he was trying to uh, show humor when he said this, but he's like, you know, if, if you are like me and you are this size, you, three things you can't be big, uh, funky and ugly. And um, he laughs, right? And then you think about it and you're like, oh, gosh, you know, That's like, something you have
1: to think about every single day
0: it's it, and he's like you know the ugly part that's subjective whatever sure. people want to think what they want to think but you you sort of you have that framing in general right that is that is your lens we all have a lens that we walk through the world with and that's his whether he has a brilliant career or an awful career right and then you add all of these things that happen to him and it's like it doesn't matter how many people are nice to you it doesn't matter how many people say like i'm so sorry that happened like you know so great to see you look great when you're ashamed of yourself and you don't like who you are or what your life has become it's a you thing and they could say you're the most amazing looking whatever in the world it's a you thing and i think when he bought that house in that you know central image that you're talking about he was like it just didn't matter because I was convinced that I was a failure. And there were so many points that like, obviously, we talked for a very long time. There's lots that couldn't make the peace. But, you know, he said to Tammy only like a couple years ago, like, man, I, you know, I really am a bust, like, you know, before he got into coaching. And so I just think that part of him that internalized that word and really felt that way had to do so much inner work to let that go.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the, 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 the bus thing is just really like, and I, and I've always been, you know, the way, you know, when I, you know, now that I cover the league, I, I've always been, you know, in part because of like, you know, stuff like the Greg Oden thing. Like I've always tried to be careful about not just like referring to guys as that. Cause like, you know, you want, you want to talk about like the quote unquote biggest like NBA draft busts of all time. Somebody like Kwame Brown, who is like the number one guy that people think of when it's like number one pick, you know, People think he was a failure. He played in the league for 12 years and made $60 million. That's not really, you know, a a bust. And like, I, I still have friends because obviously, like, you know, I'm in Portland. I cover the Blazers. I have a lot of friends okay. who are Blazer fans. I still have a lot of people in my life who, when the subject of Greg Oden comes up, they are talking about like, man, what a bust. We should have taken Durant. And I'm just like, uh, you know, he was really good when he was healthy. He just was never able to stay healthy.
0: Right. Well, that's why I, I think... um one of the responses to the piece that I was quite happy with was just, this is almost like commentary on our industry, right? Uh Like he's not going to have to walk around the world and feel like he is disappointed and done all these things. If we're not framing him in this way, right? Like this is, this is an R industry issue and it's the people screaming on TV and all this stuff. Uh Um, and because he, he would hear it all the time on TV, you know, as the people, you know, yapping and, Oh, he's a bust. And, um, It's just there is such a lack of humanity in sports, in sports media, in sports TV. And, you know, of course, I'm the first person to say like, oh, I hate when people say the media. But really, like, um, we really I I think as a culture, I I think we've actually uh, improved in this regard because the response to this article has been so much compassion. And it's not like, yeah, he was a bust, you know, like, so I do think we've improved in that way, which is really like, encouraging to see
1: oh, i think it's a lot i think i think i think more and more people are able to differentiate between you know putting everything under the blanket umbrella of exactly the media whereas like i think when most and i you know i i deal with this with a lot of players too when you know players think about the media they're usually thinking about like uh you know skip bayless or whoever just exactly. like on tv just screaming and like those guys for the most part, the guys who are like on those debate shows, they don't like go to games and they can just say whatever they want on TV and they never have to face these people. Whereas mm-hmm. people like, you know, in my position as a beat writer or in your position as kind of a feature writer who's going to spend a lot of time with one subject and really get to know them. Like these are people that you actually have relationships and, you know, these people that like you know and you just kind of have regular conversations with and they, you know, you are the media, but you, they, they don't see you as somebody who's like, oh, you're just out to burn them or you're just out to... Right. you know, paint them in a certain light on TV or whatever. Cause you know, we, what we do is not the same thing as what like the people on the debate shows do that. were just like screaming about how the blazers, like this is the new Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan, or like they should have taken Durant or, or whatever, any of that stuff was that if you're Greg Oden and you see that, like in retrospect, yes, the Portland Trail Blazers organization would probably be in a little bit of a different place right now. If they had taken Kevin Durant with the number one pick in the 2007 draft, but Like, A, you you couldn't have known at the time how that was going to go. And B, like, if you're Greg Oden, you see that, you just think, did I do this? Like, did I? Because again, he, 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 it's not like he, he got to, you know, got to the NBA, was as good as he was in college and in high school, got to the NBA, and then just like stopped working hard and stopped trying. Like, no, he just, he's, his body just kept breaking down. And maybe some of that, was kinda easy to see coming, but you know, some of it was just really bad luck.
0: Yeah, and the fact that he worked so hard to get back and did everything humanly possible to make this work and there's just you just cannot control um your body. And I just think like you know, I I think KD when when K D said what he said, Mm -hmm. In 2016 like of course nonsense like he's not a bust and that's why I this just goes back to the framing I said I'm not coming here to like say whether you're a bust or not that word is not in my lexicon that's not that I don't care like that that is just not how I approach human beings and how I do my work I I want to know what it felt like to be in your shoes and I want to know if you're happy now that that's where I'm coming from Right, like it's. I I care about the journey. I'm trying to put myself in somebody's shoes. Right, like no idea what it feels like to be Greg Oden. He's seven feet. I'm five feet. You know, like it's. (laughs) We have nothing in common in this regard, but I do know what it is like to, you know, abandon the thing you love most and start over and try again. And and I think so many people feel enormous compassion for him reading this story because we all know what it's like to feel like we failed. We all know what it's like to walk through the world feeling incredibly insecure. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I I just think how courageous of him to really share his story.
1: Did you talk to him about that from your own perspective? Because you, you have been pretty open in the past. I mean, you and I have obviously talked about it over the years, but like you've been pretty open in the past about how before you started writing and started really pursuing that, playing basketball was your thing and you first went to college to do that and then at a certain point that was just not going to happen for you and you kind of had to you know turn around and and obviously it's not the same level as
0: being the number one
1: the number one pick (laughs) in the nba draft and and uh and and uh, you know having all these expectations on you but you still kind of had to do the same thing as him at some point and be like Look, this being a basketball player and having that be what I do, this isn't going to happen for me. And so I got to figure out something else to do. You kind of did go through the same thing on like a much smaller level than him. Was that something you guys actually talked about at any point during your conversation?
0: Yeah, I did mention it at the end. You know, I try to stay away from anything about myself throughout the process unless Uh it's like absolutely, you know, you know, could bring out, could say, hey, I, you know, this is how it happened for me. Did you have anything similar? But at the end, they said, look, like I I really do have compassion for your journey. Like this is my second act, quote unquote uh-huh. second act. Um, and you know, I was just telling him, like, I didn't think there was any happiness after my, you know, basketball days were over. And, you know, I'm astounded at how much happier I am as a writer and how I I, I could never have known when I was going through my stuff that not only could I be happy, I could be the happiest, you know? And, you know, and so I said, I, it's, it's an identity thing. And so all of the things that I touched on in this piece, you know, identity crises, um, you know, not feeling like you're this thing, like I would have touched on that anyway, even if I never picked up a basketball and never had my unique lens, but. You know, I, I did feel, wow. I, 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 so, I, so feel for that. I so understand what it's like to go to sleep when you're 18 years old and think you're this thing. And you've been thinking that thing since you were 10. And then all of a sudden you're not that thing anymore. And and that is de- destabilizing to say the least.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was something that you could relate to him on. Cause you know, if you're, if you're him, I'm sure, like I was saying earlier, he probably has, you know, gotten a whole bunch of requests for, you know, interviews like this, And he's kind of skeptical of like, oh, does this person really know where I'm coming from? And I'm I'm sure that's just another thing that you could have pointed to and just been like, yeah, like I actually know kind of what you've gone through and like what, you know, what you've had to do to get to where you are now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't part of the pitch at all, just because you said like my experiences are so, although similar themed, I could never, ever relate my experience to him because of the incredible, you know, differences. And, And I don't think there's a human alive that could put themselves in Greg's shoes and knows what it feels like to be him. However, in a quiet moment after the end of the interview, after you've, somebody's told you the darkest moments of your life, like, right. yes, like I'm, I'm not a robot. Like I will share, you know, there's, there's a feature writing is so beautiful and so wonderful because you, you have this like hall pass to somebody's you know, life in in such a way that you just cannot get if you're trying to get to know somebody outside of this. And I take that responsibility so deeply. And so, you know, I really try to never make the story about me. Like, I'm never in the story. It's never like, me and Greg Oden were sitting on the court. Like, I'm just not that. You're not
1: doing, like, the Vanity Fair profile of, like, like Ariana Grande where you're, like, writing about, like, oh, we sat down for this lunch and we just, like...
0: (laughs) Like that's cool. You ate a salad. Congrats. But I, you know, like, Awesome. You hung out with I, I don't care. Like, I, I don't want to be seen. Um, so it's not about me. And therefore, I'm not going to bring myself up in an interview or in the pitch process of why I'm the person to write it. I never think that I'm more like, well, I'm privileged to get to do this story. Uh-huh. I'm going to listen as much as possible. But yes, like after you, you know, you connect in this way, and somebody feels safe enough to trust you with their story. Yeah, I, I will share some personal stuff at
1: the end. I mean, I I would think you also probably don't have to pitch yourself to subjects the way maybe you used to. You have you have a little bit more clout now <laughs> than you used to. You're a New York Times best selling author, and it's like I'll bet when people see Miran Fader in the in their inbox with like an interview request, I, I I'll bet those emails get returned a little bit more now than they maybe did five or six years ago.
0: Yeah, well, you certainly remember those years, right? Oh, um, I do. Yeah, no, it's I mean, I feel I feel so lucky, but. I get ghosted all the time. I was just joking with one of our writers, like, did so-and-so get back to you? Because I have followed up with him 20 times. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's definitely, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot easier. I'm able to get into a lot of rooms that I wasn't able to before, which I feel really grateful for. But I'm always, like, you know, knocking on some door trying to get somewhere. And uh, it's not perfect. It's not easy. But um yeah, I'm super thankful when somebody does say yes, because when they say yes, they know they are saying yes to something that is very deep and will Mm -hmm. take a long time. And they know they are not saying yes to a BS 15 minute phoner where you can just say, yeah, whatever. Like they know they are saying yes to something that is going to cause them to think deeply about themselves and their lives. So I think both parties are aware of like, hey, that this is she's not just going to come in and throw you like, you know, hey, what did it feel like to play on this team? You know, sometimes I like forget to ask about the sport and we're like 30 minutes in. And I'm like, oh, because I so care about the human.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> one one more thing on Odin and then there's something else I want to uh, get to. Do you, because going back to, you know, your, that first year of college for you where you, you know, you were, you know, playing basketball and then that that kind of stuff that was in Portland that was at Lewis and Clark oh yeah I didn't and, even
0: put the two and two together and you yeah. and I mean
1: you you and I are about this around the same age I think and so right. uh that would have been right around when all of this was going on with him in Portland was that something that you were paying attention to that year while you were in Portland and I mean obviously you were a basketball fan and an NBA fan were you now that you were living in Portland for that one year were you paying attention to like what, you know, what the, you know, what was going on with Greg Oden? Because I think, what, what was your, what, what year was your freshman year?
0: I think it was, uh, 09 to 10. That would have, school, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, so 09-10. That would have been the year that he played the 20 games and was actually looking like he was really putting it together. And then he had the patellar tear and that was the last game he ever played for, like, that would have been that year. Like, you would have been in Portland when that one happened like do you do you remember that at all do you remember that being like a thing that people around you were talking about or that you were seeing around the city at that point
0: wow I mean I guess this is proof of how like past the basketball trauma I am because I didn't even like think about oh by the way I was going through my thing while you were going through your thing because in
1: Portland too yeah
0: I didn't even I, I because it just feels like another life, another right, totally. person. But yes, I do remember being there, and like first of all, I was just learning how obsessed with basketball Portland people were. Because mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm from LA. Like I, you know, everyone in my life is like a diehard Lakers person. But I didn't really understand what it meant to love basketball in Portland until I went there. And oh, I mean, everyone was talking about it. it I I remember, I remember just feeling like. Awful for him. Like I just remember just feeling like, gosh, like that must be so difficult to deal with. Like, can't and and I I had gone through, this you know not to get too much into myself. I'll get because, into again, as much as, nope, as you want to because no comparison with. Me and I don't want to ever make that no, totally. thing. So no, I know, but yeah. No. But, but I, you know, I, the reason why I ended up there is because like I had such an awful like ankle injury in high school and it like ruined everything and it really just awful. And um yeah, I was always like, afraid of like re-hurting myself. It, it just it's a very mental battle. Uh-huh. You just not the same as when you are before. And so when I when I saw it, I was just I I had compassion because obviously I know it's like to feel like you can't get back to like you know what uh-huh. you did or whatever. Um gosh, I forgot all about that because oh god, there's an emergency alert. We love that. Turn oh, no, off sorry. <laughs> this is hilarious is that, the, my,
1: is that the amber alert on your phone
0: yeah my phone is like uh Mary, nice. don't don't get into your shit um but yeah that was that was that's hilarious sorry about that um no that's
1: actually just like that's actually just like incredible timing
0: <laughs> it's still going but i i turned it off. you anyway. muted it yeah yeah <laughs> sorry
1: you can't make it up
0: we can't make it up. I God. But wow. Yeah, Portland, I mean, it's such a basketball loving city. And uh uh-huh. I, I I'll be honest, I, I'm just loving the Portland people saying, like, we were never upset with him. We we got it. We weren't we never thought he was a failure. And that's really the beauty of long
1: form. Uh, there were some I'm it's, sure a, little, it's a little it's just it's a little bit of revisionist I'm history sure. just just I'm like sure. just like when people talk about the quote unquote jailblazers teams which is a te- which is a term i hate using obviously for a lot of reasons but now everybody's like oh yeah we love Rasheed Wallace he's like one of our favorite players of all time at the time that was not the case uh, there were definitely people certainly in my life that were like while all this was going on it's like oh man they should have taken durant i knew they should have taken durant like that was kind of the at the time that was kind of what was what the sentiment was at least in Yeah, of surveys.
0: course. No, I know. I'm just saying like it's it, I I think it's cool to see at least just some yeah. people saying like oh of course we have compassion for what you've gone through, you know? Um because, because that's the thing was Because He was also never he, a bad
1: he was not a bad guy. I mean, obviously he had he had his issues later on like there was the the domestic violence thing that you got into a little bit in the story that seems like that was something that he was able to work through and get past and is something that he doesn't run from which is that but as as far as like when he was in Portland like nobody ever was like oh this guy's a bad guy or he's you know not not trying as hard as he can to get back from these injuries he just he just wasn't able to
0: yeah I mean that and that's what shame does they're like well if somebody knows my story then they're gonna think I'm this but Mm -hmm. you know when stuff like this comes out you actually see oh could have never anticipated that response that people would say, No, I admire you for your struggle and I wish you well. Um, you know, like I I think that's cool. It's like the thing you're most ashamed of once you like allow it to be seen and you, you actually see a different response than you could have ever hoped for or imagined.
1: Also, just once you get past like enough time passes, cause at this point the Portland stuff was 15 years ago. And now, you know, he's doing this thing in his life. And I'm sure in the moment while that was what he was going through, that's like the biggest thing in the world to him is like, oh, I'm seen as this disappointment because I wasn't healthy and I was the number one pick and I wasn't able to do this and I wasn't able to do that. And that's what I'm going through right now. And I'm trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces. Now it's like this second act, that, or I, I guess, no, not second act because he, right, you know, right. he doesn't what, want to call it second I get act. You. But, like, but like now this this other phase of his life that he's in right now where he has this new job that is in basketball, but it's not the same thing as like being the starting center on an NBA team. It's being an assistant coach on a college team. And he's still, he's having to kind of start at the bottom again and learn how to do it. And he's really embracing the challenge and he's just throwing himself into that. Now, you know, when you have that much distance from the thing that was this quote unquote disappointment, now you're able to look back on it and say, okay, well, it sucked at the time, but I also wouldn't be where I'm at now if that hadn't happened to me. And I'm Mm -hmm. happy with where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things. It's like, um, because I was number one. It's like that's why also sometimes a person needs distance before they do a story like this because they're still working through. I don't think this story would have worked five years ago, ten years ago. So part of it is just uh, you know you want to you want to talk with somebody that's done the inner work. Uh-huh. Um, who feels comfortable talking and not somebody in the middle of their storm um that that is fascinating too, but that is very difficult to catch someone in the middle of their storm because the last thing they want to do is tell somebody else. But uh, the other thing is you know like this was a really hard story, like one of the hardest stories I've ever wrote, and one of the hardest interviews I've ever done, and part of that was because healing is not neat. Right. It's not linear. So I was trying I was saying to him, like, you know, help me understand how you get from A to B, like we said. And it's and it's not one thing. It's all these things. It's, you know, the new job, the therapy, the this, the that having a daughter, having a family. And then he was like, and honestly, a lot of it is just time. I'm older now. So to your point, it's like, yes, like part of it is just as we get older and we reflect, it doesn't the volume on this painful thing softens it's not as loud it doesn't feel as acute so I think he he was ready and in a place for something like this um which which made it you know as interesting as it was
1: have you heard from him since the story came out a couple days ago where do you have any idea like how he feels about how it turned out or if he's happy with it or if he thinks you did a good job with it
0: yeah I mean I've talked with the the family and they're all like very happy with it. And, you know, Greg thanked me and, you know, but he was at the, I think there's the tournament, the, um, so yesterday he was like coaching all day. So, but it's, it's really nice to hear from, from them that. And, um, but even if not, you know, that doesn't, you know, did I, do I feel like I gave it my all, um, reported responsibly, accurately, truthfully, all those things. Yes. And so that, that's, that makes me feel happy.
1: How much total time did you spend talking to him? So I think
0: you- a couple couple out. Yeah, a couple hours and I went to shoot around. I went to practice. I stayed there for a couple days, so.
1: I'm just now putting it together that you were working on this last month because I was in Salt Lake City for the ultimate. Oh game yeah. And I, text, I texted you because like I think fig- oh, yeah. I figured I figured like usually like outlets like because I saw I saw a bunch of Ringer folks there like I saw Sierra right. I saw Kyle Mann I saw like some other people like from the Ringer that I'm friends with I figured they would like send their whole crew out there like I hadn't seen you like we were talking about since right Summer League 2019 so I texted you like hey are you in Salt Lake and you're like no I'm in Indiana working on a story you didn't tell me what the story was okay and I was like right. okay I saw this come out and I was like okay. That's, that must have been what she was working on.
0: <laughs> I know. Everyone was like, are you at All-Star? Are you at All-Star? Are you at All-Star? And I was like, no, like, I'm... all is really not really your it.
1: vibe also. It's hard to get I, really like a sit-down, like, interview with somebody to really get people to open up and do, you know, the Mirren Fader profile at All-Star. Right. Like, you're not going right. to get that kind of access.
0: Totally. It's I hate going to honest, truthfully, I hate going to big events like, you know, where you're just, you're like a sardine and I hate press conferences. And um, I also, I'm not really like a partier. So it's kind of (laughs) like, I don't think Oh, people were, turn- people
1: were turning up in salt lake city you know you know no. this was actually probably one of the most low-key uh all-star weekends i've ever been to
0: that's so funny yeah, yeah the- my trip was be- i mean i was working a really long time of doing two stories out there um second one is coming out soon but I- are you I was- allowed to say what that is yet or no i am not okay. i am not i'm sorry but okay. yeah i was i remember seeing everyone like partying and being like oh gosh, okay, all right, gotta stay focused, gotta just do what I, do what I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, one other, one other guy I wanna, I, I, are, do you, do you, how often, I mean, I'm sure it varies, like, person to person, but how much do you keep up with, you know, do you keep in touch with people that you maybe profiled uh. years and years ago? Because I, the other guy that, you know, somebody that I know quite well, because I cover him now on the Trailblazers, and somebody that you profiled back when he was in college is, Nasir Little and I'm wondering if that's is that somebody that you are still in touch with at all or that you've kept up with at all
0: um no that uh, to answer your question I definitely do keep in touch but I didn't with him I think probably because it was mediated through like SIDs and stuff when he was in college but god I really you know what that profile didn't get as much um I don't know, attention at the time, but I I, talk about compassion. I felt so much compassion for him when he was Mm -hmm. in college and I found him to be so extraordinarily mature. Mm -hmm. And that was a rare, a rare, rare profile of like we just said, profiling somebody in the middle of their storm. Yeah. I, I was just amazed that like I got to do that while he was going through the playing time issues and all that um so when i see but when i see him playing a part of me just feels like like when i see lamello come up on a commercial i'm just like oh my god you know because he's yeah he was just like a baby but you know i i more so keep in touch with families i, I get really close to the moms for some uh-huh. reason like i i think so much so um now that I'm on Instagram because I'm got it a decade later, and now I you know have more more contact with uh, dating myself. Ridiculous. No, um, I, this na- is
1: actually true. Like I use I used to give you shit all the time for not having I an Instagram. Know. And, and yeah. I know. Yeah. All it, all it took was Elon Musk buying Twitter and threatening to run it into the ground for you to finally. <laughs>
0: I was like, well, geez, I guess I'll make one. Um, but it has actually really assisted with this, uh, keeping in touch with families and players and stuff. Um, I try to not, um, you know, I, it's, not, it's not robust. It's I don't have a friendship, you know? It's not like, it's not often, but it's just like when you when you're that vulnerable with a reporter, there is just a connection that will just always be there. Yeah. Um, but it's more afar. Um, so, and I like it that way too. And part of it, you know, I like to profile people multiple times. So yeah. like, you know, Devonte Adams profiled him twice. Brandon Ingram profiled him twice. So I really do keep in touch also in that way of like, hey, like if there's something down the line and you, you know, you feel like you can trust that, you know, I will... That you did the, fir- that the
1: first time you did it respectful and you did it the right. way that they would want their story to be told. Yeah,
0: like, you, that, you they'll know, all, you that they'll
1: choose you again for the next time they want to have something like that.
0: Yeah, like I, you know, I'm I'm not pressed for a profile when something happens, but if you feel like you trust me and feel like I will do an honest job and you know respectful and all of those things, like I'm here, you know.
1: Yeah, I really liked that Nasir Little story. I went back and read it when they drafted him in 2019. Mm. And I went back and read it again because I've, you know, I've gotten to know Nasir pretty well over the last, basic, basically since we started being allowed to actually be around these guys again after you know, all the COVID <laughs> yeah. stuff happened. Because he and I, like, like he and I didn't really know each other that well. Because, like, his rookie season was the 2019-20 season, which halfway through that season, COVID hit and shut the entire league down. And then for the two years after that, all the media access was Zoom. And so Mm. the first time Nasir and I actually got to talk was over the summer, he and I met up and I sat down and did like a longer thing with him. And I was struck by the same stuff you were, just about how mature Mm. and how level-headed he was. But one thing, because right before I did that story, I was sitting down like preparing for it. And so I went back and read a bunch of stuff that he had done in the past. And so one of the things I went back and reread was your story. And one of the things that struck me from it was that part of the reason he chose to go to Carolina over some of the other offers that he had from other schools is because they were the only school that didn't promise him, you're going to come in and start day one. You're going to have to earn mm-hmm. it. And he wanted that. Mm-hmm. And that was something that struck me reading that.
0: Yeah, now it's coming back to me. I I mean, I think also just interesting ties obviously has nothing to do with Greg Oden, but um, this idea of like, expectation right like Mm -hmm. and that's again that's that's our world right like who is putting these expectations on him to play right away and be like what's wrong with you if you're sitting on the you know so I I think like that in itself like Carolina was like well I don't care how the rest of the world works we're not doing that you know he's gonna earn his keep or whatever and um, I actually thought in a modern world of our takey culture and all this stuff, he handled that with so much like grace Mm -hmm. and class. And um, yeah, I was just kind of astounded by the maturity to do that because I think any other player would be like, fuck this. Like I'm transferring. (laughs) He was just great. (laughs) He was just really like, I was in, I was impressed.
1: And even now he's kind of, I think he's handling, his own role here in Portland. Like, I don't know how much you've kept up with the Blazers season. Probably not that much. Cause you're like running around doing, you know, yeah, all kinds of different things. But he came in when I, that interview I did with him over the summer, he told me that it was like a goal of his to start this season. And he felt disrespected by people saying that mm-hmm. he might not be the starter. Like that he, like he came in hard on that. And then when <laughs> he didn't, when he didn't win the starting spot in training, yeah, part of that was, he was still coming back from the shoulder injury, uh, surgery that he had over the uh, last season. And then uh, he also like Josh Hart also just had a really good training camp and won the spot. And Nasir was like, yeah, you know, when Chauncey told me that I told him he made the right choice because Josh Hart had a better training camp than me. And then <laughs> right now, like since, you know, since the uh, trade deadline, the Blazers brought in two guys, uh, Matisse Thibel and Cam Reddish. If you want to talk about another guy who had huge expectations in college and then hasn't really, you know, met them in the NBA and is kind of bouncing around. Cam Reddish is kind of another guy in this in a similar spot. But those guys have been getting a lot of the starting spots over Nasir because the Blazers, for the rest of the season, want to take a look at those guys and see whether they want to re-sign them. And Nasir, like, he's already gotten his extension. They kind of already know what they have with him. He's kind of gotten the short end of the stick in a way that I think is a little bit unfair to him. But every time mm-hmm. I've talked to him about it, he seems like he's just, like, you know, I get it. I, I, he doesn't seem like he's like upset about it. Like, obviously, he would like to play more than he is, but he's not, he's not making it into a thing like some guys would be.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, d- I definitely wish I was, you know, more knowledgeable about, you know, the current situation there. But, right. you know, I think when people ask, people ask me a lot about like, what are, what are these NBA stars like? And the image that they're always like, when I read your work, I'm sort of like, wow, these guys are so, you know, uh, humble, yeah, like humble, mature, regular, you know, they, they, they feel the same insecurities that I do. And I'm like, well, because they are regular, yeah. because, <laughs> because they are humans. And so when you see a profile that shows that somebody's like, you know what, I got to work harder. I'm not as good as this guy. I, I accept that. And I'm gonna, it's like, I don't want that to be surprising. Um, if you because because I think scream culture, like you said, a lot of these guys they don't actually interact with you know they're not doing the, the same kind of stuff that we are so but when you are you you really learn so early is like we're all just people and like we all have our shit that's like one of my sayings it's like <laughs> we all have our shit we exactly. all have <laughs> we all we all have that thing that we're like, oh man, like somebody's not gonna like me if they think this about me or you know I'm afraid that they think this about me or we all like secretly don't feel good enough like it I was talking
1: n- to Nasir like yeah before a game in the locker room we were it was not like an interview or anything we were just like chatting and he was telling me that like he like he just bought a house recently like after he got his contract extension and he realized he was like gonna be in Portland for a while he actually bought a house out here and he was talking about like oh he had an interior decorator like giving him a budget for furniture and like they like these are your options and he was looking at the price of like furniture to you know furnish a new place and he was just like blown away by how expensive it is and I'm just like yeah you know I just moved into a new place like six months ago I I know what that it's like obviously he and I have very different budgets for like furniture for our places because we make very different amounts of money but it's like yeah like somebody like me and somebody like him who really like you would think don't have anything at all in common because of you know age racial background you know athletic ability whatever it's like yeah we both are like yeah apartment furniture is expensive
0: (laughs) right and I, i think also it gives me more admiration for the ways that you know the pressures that they have that we don't right like we get to well not us but like other people who maybe don't have public facing careers they they don't they get to fail in private. And Uh I, I, I so much admire athletes because they have to do this in front of millions of people and they have to like face their weaknesses every single day. So while I feel such connection with the people I cover of these deeply universal human themes, it, it also just gives me an appreciation of like, I will never know what it feels like to be in their shoes and, and deal with that. But that's why I think it's important to do this work because uh-huh. you just you never know what somebody's going through. And I don't know, it's just interesting. I find it so much more interesting than like how many games did he sit out? What happened here? What, you know, like I don't I don't know. Yeah. You know, i
1: Yeah, I mean, and I and I frankly I wish I was able to do more of that kind of stuff. I'm so, you know, underwater with like the day-to-day like right. beats, especially like over the last month like there was the trade deadline and the whole Gary Payton 2 thing. Like I, I like It's just now at the point in the season where, like, I've got a couple things I'm working on where I'm going to finally be able to, like, a couple of, like, the lesser known guys on the team, I've been able, I'm going to be able to, like, get into, you know, some of their, like, backgrounds, some of their stories, and do some of that kind of stuff that's, like, the kind of stuff you do all the time that's more, like, the kind of stuff I don't get to do that often. But every time I do, I'm just, like, this is so much more fun than (laughs) just like trying to write something interesting off of this game that like, nobody's going to remember in two days that that's like a big part of the job too. Like
0: (laughs) totally, totally. And yeah, you know, I feel about that. Like, I I mean, you know, it was only like what, so we're in 2023 graduated college, 2013, you know, I was at the OC register for like four years and I wasn't doing like this type of like interesting work. And I would always just be like, man, I want to I break a 1,000 words. Can we do a 1,200 feature? Can we do a 2,000-word feature? So, um, yeah, there's just – everybody has a story. That's the thing. Like, when I was at Butler, that's the student managers were just shooting around before practice, just went up to one of them. I was like, hey, can I ask you a question? Um, I'm just curious. Like, does Greg ever play with the student managers? You know, and it's just those little things of, like, walking up to people. Everybody yeah. has a unique story. Everybody has an a- anecdote.
1: Mm-hmm totally are you allowed to say what book number two is
0: I can't but I do think we are announcing it later this month um, Oh, okay. but yeah so that's you know working on that um I'm excited I'm very in the soup if that's a phrase I'm very <laughs> I feel like I'm juggling like a lot and I'm trying my best to tend to everything so how's this that
1: will... how's this process for this book been different than the Giannis book is it just like you know more now or like are you approaching something differently? Without without getting into specifics about what the book is, obviously, because you haven't announced it yet, but just like what's what's the difference in the process from book one to book two?
0: Number one, it's not COVID. So right. I think
1: So you can actually get out and talk to people.
0: Right. But it's also like it's not like I'm also going out here and having a busy life going, you know, doing all this stuff. So even though with even though I'm not going everywhere, it's still like it's just a lot harder because during COVID it was like, I literally didn't go anywhere. I was one of those people that like took it very seriously from yeah. jump till, the, till, till now still. Um, so I feel like there's less time, which is hard. The other thing is that uh, the subject is obviously older. So there's so much more ground to cover. Um, Giannis just happened to be extraordinary and live like eight lives before age 26. <laughs> but, um, this is my first time like chronicling a life, somebody that's lived. Um, I do feel more at least of like okay i did this once because the first time it was like what am
1: i doing like
0: every day it was like i don't know how to do this i I, I
1: can't believe i signed up for this i can't believe i thought i could do this
0: there's no like manual for like how to do this so the first one was just like all right we're you know like when i'm on podcast people ask me about my process and it's something i can answer easily because i i have a process but when i was writing the book i was like i don't have a process because i've never done this before so this time around, I have a little bit more, okay, I think let's do this. And, but it's exciting. It's really hard. Um, but it's, it's exciting. I want to, I want to keep doing this for, for as long as I can. So, um, but yeah, it's a lot
1: of work. <laughs> uh, well, I'm excited for the announcement. You said later this month, you think it's going to be, announced I think,
0: with- yeah, very yeah,
1: soon. Okay, cool. So I'll Everybody's going to keep an eye out for that, obviously. <laughs> the Ringer uh, what stuff, you know, go read the Greg Oden story if you haven't. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're a Blazer fan, you'll probably want to read this story because it's a good portrait of kind of where Greg Oden's at in his life now, and he's in a much better place, I think, in his life than he was kind of, you know, five, six, seven years ago when, you know, all that stuff was still fresh. So, Mirren, th- thank thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, like you said, you we go back, so I appreciate you as always. And uh-huh. just thanks for being so thoughtful with your questions. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'll talk to you soon.